0: Everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philadelphia get together to talk about all things movies. We're taking on a new theme now. Uh, as you know, we just wrapped up a very magical month uh, that we were happy to have you join us throughout, and also uh, very happy, of course, to be a part of the Movie John podcast network uh, that I uh, host of really, really great shows, uh, really great podcasts, all of them Philly-based, and most of them, almost all of them, I believe, except one movie-based one uh, based on Formula One racing, which i is not yet heard, but I'm really looking forward to checking out. So uh, have a look at all of those. Uh, this month, we are uh, kind of going from magic to, uh, from whimsy to whimsy in a way. We're going from magic to musicals. I myself am not a big musical person, so uh, it's it's going to be an interesting bit of a curveball here with this first episode, uh, but you can look forward to some really great musicals ahead. And who knows, maybe as I so often do when I dismiss a whole genre out of hand, I'll regret having done it at the beginning of the theme.
1: <laughs> I, I feel like that's been a, a micro theme or like a meta theme throughout the past couple months, with, with is like the the Dave doesn't like this theme, so let's do, or this kind of genre, so let's, let's do a, a theme about it.
0: And more often than not, I'm put roundly in my place because of everyone's selections. So we'll see how this month goes. Before we get into that, uh, of course, I want to go around the horn and see how everybody's doing. Has anyone seen anything lately that has really stood out and that has uh, really caught their attention?
2: I had been telling, saying every week, I just have not been watching 2021 movies and I really need to catch up. So this week, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to start catching up to speed and watching some, uh, some 2021 movies. So I finally watched Power of the Dog. And, um, Uh, yeah. And I would, I think I had mentioned, I was like looking forward to it and really excited to see it. And I liked it. I, I think that sometimes Jane Campion has this tendency and this sort of like visual style to be like, this is symbolism and I'm going to drill it deep (laughs) into your brain. And I'm like, if she could just sometimes like, woe back, it's like, she's a good storyteller. She can, you know, uh, let things breathe sometimes. But yeah, I, I I liked it. It took me a little bit to like get behind Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit about the Cumber like f- the Cumberbatch show. And then it was like, ooh, we got him to sign on to this movie. So we're gonna make it all about this one character. When really, I thought it was it dipped a little in the middle, and then I thought the as it moved towards its ending it really uh loosened in a way and let other characters breathe uh and yeah i thought it i thought it worked into a really nice uh finish uh i wish that the movie had sort of lodged uh or dislodged its focus from cumberbatch and let some other characters get more development um, cuz it yeah i think it was like Role. But overall, yeah, I was I was uh, I was very with it. it's not a perfect movie, but I was definitely very happy to finally have seen it and uh, and see. And I liked Johnny Greenwood's score. It was added some nice tension to it. So like on my journey of <laughs> trying to catch up with 2021.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed that film as well. But uh, a lot of similar feelings as far as uh, a lot of those criticisms are concerned.
1: I haven't been watching too much aside from you know what you know what we're watching for the podcast uh, because I've been going through a video game series, the Mass Effect trilogy, Legendary Edition. It's definitely one of the best sci-fi kind of stories in a video game, and so I've been enjoying going back through. I beat the first one. I'm onto the about halfway through the second one. So not a movie, but a thoroughly enjoying going back into Shepherd's story and uh bioware created such an awesome universe with so much story potential uh that it's a shame that they kind of whiffed it in the end in the very last very end of the third game uh the trilogy so enjoying the ride maybe my you know how i feel about the ending will change Uh, it's been many years since i've played it so but i've been really digging deep into the mass effect world and the stories there
3: Um, I watched The Last Duel and I fucking hated it. Um, I have a lot of opinions. Actually, it's uh, funny. Uh, I was talking to Tom yesterday, uh, our old friend, Tom, about The Last Duel and he liked it. And uh, he was like, "So, so why did you not like it? And I just like, I went, well, how much time do you have? And I listed every single thing that I didn't like. And he was like, you know, you're right. So I felt validated and seen. Thank you, Tom, for uh, for that. Uh, yep, dog shit. Absolutely hated it.
0: So there's a lot of things you hated about it. I still have not seen it yet, but there, there's enough that, like, as you were doing here in our, our Zoom meeting, it's like you can count them on maybe more than one hand.
3: Yeah, and what's frustrating is, like, you know, I think that Ridley Scott is an incredible director. Sometimes he's hit or miss, but I was really looking forward to it. And what he's trying to do, I think is, is really interesting. And, um, essentially he's trying to tell one story from three different perspectives. And I like that a lot. And and I think that, um, it really allows actors to be, to have fun and to, to be creative because like scenes change just like in really slight and subtle ways but enough so that like you can tell that they spent a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of time filming it but unfortunately i just don't think that what he was trying to do and his perspective on the the story was one needed two good so uh unfortunate uh but adam driver i'll love you forever that's all i have to say
0: (laughs) yeah i've still got to check that one out to round out the uh stuff that i've seen for the uh for 2021 as a retrospective but i'm i'm looking forward to it especially having heard these criticisms (laughs) uh that should be interesting um so segueing now into our our new theme again we are starting to tackle some musicals uh we kind of had a nice musical last month uh if you tuned in during our magic theme where we got to have a uh, reappraisal of mary poppins uh pretty universally held up so that was really fun and uh, we have some other classics coming to you via this theme, uh, musicals. And uh, as I said at the top, yeah, I'm not much of a musical guy. I love it in animation because it kind of elevates it in a lot of ways for me, but the, I, I have trouble getting past watching actors as characters burst into song a lot of the time, but we'll see how that uh, that plays out with um, with everyone's choice. My choice, however, is not kind of your conventional musical and not, I don't know. Some people would say it's not necessarily a film. I would argue otherwise because it is so cinematic and does have an arc uh, that's pretty established and uh, just makes for a pretty interesting experience. That would be uh, last year's 2021's Bo Burnham Inside. Uh, It's a comedy special that uh, is really kind of driven by music. Uh, It has... Uh, a lot of songs that I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about with you guys. But before we get into it, it does anyone really have much experience with Bo Burnham? I, I really didn't know him or his work at all going into this the first time.
3: Um, yes, and not a fan. So I, Dave, when you picked this, I went,
2: because <sighs> <sighs> I had been avoiding it for so long.
0: Um, oh, gotcha.
2: Yeah, I, I had watched, like, some of his YouTube stuff, like, way back in the day. Uh, a good friend of mine from college was like, yeah, like, so my high, she was, like, really big into, like, the theater, uh, high school theater, and her rival high school would always compete uh, in theater competitions. And she was like, there's this one kid who's just so intense and his name is Bo Burnham, and he takes himself really seriously, and he always wins all the competitions and awards. And he like did YouTube like songs on uh, like when he like when he was younger, and so we would like check him out, and uh, we're like, this kid is uh, on a different level. And then it was just like, and then I like didn't watch any of his stuff, and then I noticed that he was like getting comedy gigs and on Conan and all this stuff. I was like, Oh, I guess he's getting big. And then I saw eighth grade and I was like, Oh, now he's directing. Dang. Enjoyed eighth grade. And then was like, Oh now he's making the thing of the, yeah. Yeah. Then I saw inside. So that's sort of a brief history uh, with Bo Burnham.
1: I'm not too familiar with Bo Burnham or his work aside from uh, Christine. Uh, recommended eighth grade and I've had other people recommend it. So I think, I guess now two summers ago, I watched it. Um, Absolutely loved it. I see, you know, I'm not too familiar with his comedy work, but in terms of the one movie I saw that he made and then inside, I think in terms of a director and somebody with a vision, um, I think somebody who I'm really curious to see do work in the future. Um, I'm interested to hear other people's thoughts on inside. Uh, But I, overall, I I like Bo Burnham, but I don't know too much about, I haven't seen that much of his filmography or specials or anything like that.
0: Well, a little bit of insight then, uh, because again, I had to do my research. Bo Burnham Burnham, uh, kind of rose to unlikely stardom, posting humorous songs on YouTube at the age of 16. Uh, His short song video, uh, My Whole Family, saw a boom in viral popularity after being posted on break.com. Uh, since then, that song, among others, have been reappraised and considered offensive by some. Which is something that's going to come up a little bit later. In 2010, he released his first formal special, Words, 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 followed by What? in 2013. And then finally, Make Happy, a Netflix special considered to be a pretty rousing success. Uh, however, Burnham began suffering panic attacks during performances, often unnoticed by the audience, or so he claims, uh, and began second-guessing his career path. At the end of the Make Happy special, again, that uh, I believe 2015, uh, Burnham leaves the stage and we cut to a small guest house uh, on his property where he plays a uh, closer to the special, Are You Happy? This room will go on to become the backdrop of 2021's Inside. In his performance hiatus, he wound up winning an Independent Spirit Award for his screenplay and directorial debut eighth grade, which we talked about a little bit, and I, I really enjoyed Uh, as well as appearing on several TV shows and movies, uh, that including The Big Sick and Promising Young Woman. And he also tried his hand at directing several other comedian specials, such as uh, Gerard Carmichael and Chris Rock. So yeah, he's done kind of a lot of different work, I guess, over the years, Uh, that culminating here in um, his most recent special. And sort of, you know, as we're talking about with the theme, it's a series of songs with some interstitials here and there. Um, So I thought we would just maybe roll through uh, the songs. Uh, The first one being a song called Content. The special sort of opens with uh, this this static room. There's just a chair and a piano. Uh, The door opens and this big blast of light comes in and uh, Burnham walks in after it, shutting the door and shutting himself inside. And then we get uh, kind of an unassuming intro uh, song that's about him starting to make content, starting to create things again. Uh, which is yeah pretty pretty mild up until this really great visual effect. He turns on this headlamp that he's had he has as like a head strap, and points it up at a disco ball. And there's a, this really neat reveal of the light from his headlamp hitting the disco ball, and a really cool sort of stage setting intro.
1: Yeah, I think it was a good way to kick off the special. I'm sure we'll talk about this as we get further in, but um, I, I do consider inside. A musical like Bo Burnham is a, like it's a one man show of him and kind of dealing with this and I think it's a story told through song and not a, certainly not a traditional musical um, but this sort of does kind of feel like an opening number like an invitation and um, sort of a preview of, of what's to come and kind of starting <laughs> off with this disco ball trick which then the special goes on sort of because did, did you is it like a year that he spent making this I guess roughly
0: uh, so it claims, at least in the narrative, yes.
1: Right. So within the narrative about, but it, even in real world, if it wasn't a year, certainly a long time was spent making this. And so it's interesting of like starting here at the beginning and then as time goes on, it. at least from I view the narrative, he gets more comfortable with all these techniques and lights and cameras and effects. And so we sort of start more simple and then it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and more complex as it goes on. But I thought this was a, a fun way to, kind of kick off the special, kick off the show.
2: That's a really interesting, like, idea of thinking about the progression of songs as in it realistically reflecting the order in which he wrote them and the styles that he was working with and experimenting with over the course of the year. Because I think, at least what I read was that All Eyes on Me was one of the first songs that he was starting to work on. And that ultimately becomes like the grand finale. So I, I think it mm. gets into this really interesting territory of like, is this a like completely realistic account of his, like of his year at narratively, musically and all of the techniques he's using, like how is this representing what he's really going through or as an artist, Like, how does he shape it to convey something, something else? I don't know about any of the other orders in which he wrote songs, but your comment, Connor, just made me think of something I had read about the fact that the final song was one of the first things that he was really thinking through. I'm so glad that
3: we're getting to this point of honesty and whether or not this is something he was experiencing or if this was uh, an act or if it's a, it's a mixture of both. I had avoided this for so long, but so many people that I know and so many people that I love have talked to me or have just talked about it. I mean, Christine, you and I have actually had conversations about this before Chris Evans tweeted about it. And obviously like I hold his opinion in very high regard, um, Mm -hmm. about how it's a masterpiece. And a lot of folks have been saying it's social commentary on everything we're experiencing right now inside and, um, social commentary on the, 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 other things that have happened in 2020 and I went in with that perspective and as soon as it starts I was like everything about this feels entirely fake and put on like at what point does he because it, it, I mean it sounds like the entire time he knew he was making a special and so I kept wondering and I did absolutely no research on this so pff, I could there could be an answer out there and I just haven't bothered finding it. Um Like, did he know that this special was going to be for Netflix? How, when did he figure that out? Also, like he sequestered himself into this shed. Was he in this shed the whole time? I know that he has a partner and we don't see that person at all. And so like knowing all of that on the side made it feel like very um, insincere and um, made me like really pull back a little bit. But then I thought, what if that's the point? And what if this is like more of a a character he's trying to play? So I'll be interested to hear more of what everyone else thinks because I I don't know how to feel.
0: I mean, yeah, as it goes on, I think we'll explore this some more. But I think as a, you know, I think he made a very emotionally earnest piece but it's still he it, it remains a comedian every comedian no comedian has ever really been themselves the honest vulnerable version of themselves that they really are on stage and I think that that performance is also a necessary component of this
3: yeah I guess it's just more about like how it has been framed from other people like less about him and more about how other folks have like responded to it and and talked about it was this supposed to be funny I don't I don't know i I, I didn't laugh. And I don't I don't know if that was the point,
1: really, I'm kind of surprised at how much it blew up, like it feels like there are a few different phases of the pandemic, there was a Tiger King phase, like if we're thinking about media, and then inside definitely became its own phase of like pandemic pop culture. And I, I found inside to be incredibly challenging, in a lot of ways. And I'm kind of surprised that it caught on so much. I think because largely because of the songs, the musical component of it really hooks people in. But if this was like to not to have any music, this would be up there with like a very challenging, like abstract film about someone quest Like the musical component of it, I think is what brings people to it and makes it, in my opinion, it feels like it's elevating it. Like there's an extra layer going on for me to dig into instead of dismissing it as something I'm not really understanding, but using the music as a guide through this um, experimental experience.
2: Yeah. Uh, going off what you are talking about, Connor, I think that Bo Burnett, like one of his greatest strengths is being able to write a really tight pop, like blending. He blends genres he definitely taps into um, musical number, sort of what you might think of as musical theater chord progressions and rhythms. But then he goes into synth pop and like electronic music and he can write a fucking hook like no one else. And yeah, and it really just sweeps you up and and I think that's kind of what you were getting at, Connor, as far as like if it didn't have those very pop, sen- that pop sensibility of like a great uh, hook and, and great chorus uh, that I know I found myself like singing along with it, or, or, or those things were getting stuck in my, my mind long after I watched it. If it didn't have that, it might be a very, uh, or more sort of challenging descent into this, this creator's mind that might be more like of another genre, uh, like more experiment. I mean, it still has experimental, uh, mo moments and it also emotionally kind of gets there too.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, but something that I, so I, I've seen, I've seen it all the way through twice. And then for preparing for the episode, I was like, you know what, we're doing musicals. I'm just going to listen to the music only. And so I think a lot of what I've been thinking about right now is the way that he's really been constructing songs and how that shapes kind of the narrative. But to and to your point, Sam, I think that I also found myself being like how how uh, tied to his real, like, real life is this? But I, don't, I found myself needing, at least I wanted to remind myself that it doesn't necessarily take away from the artistry of what he's doing, whether what we're to believe is he didn't talk to another person besides his mom on FaceTime. <laughs> you know, he has a other life that's going on that's not conveyed through this piece. But, and I think that's kind of what every artist that's drawing from their own life wrestles with. That's like, there is me in this particular piece. And then there's me in my regular day. And I think it's a lot uh, as to points that were said before, a lot of what was written about it. I think everyone was like, Whoa, this piece I'm going to impose everything that I've been feeling onto this work and be like, this speaks for the pandemic era. And to dump that onto any type of work of art is almost impossible like I feel like it's impossible then to to separate a piece like this from all of what's been written about it
1: and I think the opening number sort of the circle all the way back to Dave's question about thoughts on the opening number you know a lot of content creators I feel like the song is sort of like um I forget the I should really pull the lyrics up It's sort of like, you know, daddy's made content for you, open up wide. It's like, what do we want out of our comedians? What do we want out of our content creators? Like, do we really care about their personal lives? Or do we want to see the the, the funny man write the funny song? But then if we want the funny man writing the funny song, then how, you know, what about the rest of his career, which kind of gets into later? So it's sort of like... I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like I need to rewatch it a few times to sort of arrive on these different points. But I think the idea of like, this is content. And what does that mean to somebody as being only valued for content? I think it's kind of what's going on at the beginning here. And as he sort of unravels what that means to himself and how much of it is genuine, I don't know. I think it's, for me, it was tough to remove that part of it sometimes, but I tried my best to, but maybe he didn't want me to, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting.
0: And that'll bring us then to the second number, that being comedy. This uh, sort of him uh, struggling to to justify comedy as a concept uh, in our current whirlwind climate of pretty horrifying and, and challenging social and institutional and uh, global issues. But then uh, this beaming divine spotlight blasts in across the room and seems to speak to him, reassuring him that yes, through the power of your comedy, like, you know, uh, As and then he, he answers back, of course, in, in the self-aware way that bo burnham kind of stretches throughout a lot of this uh the world needs direction from a white guy like me who's saving the world with comedy and as he goes on to say like obviously self-awareness absolves no one of anything and that's a recurring theme but at any rate he kind of goes into this now renewed with this vigor we see him singing this song about uh approaching comedy in this difficult climate uh with some really great visuals there's like a growing numbers of comically growing number of pencils that he has like in his mouth and on his ears as he's writing things we see the whiteboards that he has where he's he's kind of writing out ideas with things like comedy equals tragedy plus time time equals money tragedy equals 9-11 comedy equals 9-11 plus money question mark and also does have this flowchart breakdown of comedy as a whole um with some things like is it mean or does it punch down? And each time it flows down to the chart to the answer, yes, it flows down even further to, it isn't funny. The, you know, these these different backdrops as visuals, it's sort of uh, expressing that though this is shot in one room, there are going to be some interesting camera angles and cinematography. What do we think about that?
2: I think the the stops and starts of this song are really well done because it almost suggests that every time he completes a thought, he undercuts that thought or evaluates that thought and switches into a completely different like rhythm or mode. Like I feel like this, I think this particular song has like three different <laughs> parts to it that feel very, feel very different from one another. And and part of me feels like it connects really well to anyone's thought process or at least mine, Uh, jumping from thought to thought, thinking I've arrived at some understanding of something and then completely undercutting or switching to another thought. And it also feels very much the vibe of social media, you know, reading something or seeing something and then something completely (laughs) shifting, like one's perspective on something. And then, so I think the musicality of this, of this song really connects well to those basically like this clusterfuck of like evaluating comedy in this era and social media's relationship to it.
3: Yeah. I actually found this song to be really fascinating and something I'm, I I like that he has at the very beginning. I both enjoyed it and found it completely exhausting, which I think is Like a lot of how I feel about Bo Burnham, but something I I appreciate is him coming back to like, do you want to hear comedy and do you want to hear from someone like me? And I think like, ultimately, there's always space for a joke. And I don't think that a time really cuts any certain person out from making a joke. However, I do think that there are certain things that are Bo Burnham's lane and there are certain things that aren't. And I think that when he's in his lane, he's very sharp and he's doing an incredible job, but when he's not, it doesn't particularly land. And so I think that with this song, I, Dave, you mentioned how he says like, being self-aware doesn't absolve anyone from anything. Neither does saying, it doesn't absolve me from anything. Right? Like, you, you know that, because there, there's- Well sure, but that
0: kind of becomes a rolling feedback loop, I guess, right? Yeah, a, Which yeah. I think is something he's pretty keenly aware of.
3: Yeah, but I but it also feels like incredibly fake to me and he's doing it so no one will attack him for things that he's saying because it's like i'm so self-aware and i know that because i'm self-aware like you know a lot of times people can say oh it gives you like space and whatever and it doesn't but he's saying it anyway right so
1: i don't know i don't know
3: this is this is like a like a complicated song
1: i feel like that's and this is you know appears throughout i feel like he that part does seem sincere. Like I don't think he's saying these things to try to absolve himself or what happened before or to like, like, I think, I think you're correct, but just how I view it is that it's not it's so tough to phrase. Cause it's sort of like, things are falling back on itself. You know, it's sort of like, it's a tough, like it's, how do I phrase this? Like, it seems like this is a genuine thing and that he's not trying to just make these, you know, this theme as like an excuse or to try to like absolve himself. It seems like he's aware that he can't in a lot of ways.
0: Well, that'll tie into problematic later, which I think covers a lot of that ground. But that brings us, I guess, next into uh, FaceTime with my mom, which for me is like pretty middle of the road sort of like dated comedy, but I love its presentation. Like I I really love the like frustration with parental difficulty using modern technology paired with like a sensual R&B tone, like this weird tenuous juxtaposition between tone and subject.
2: I love this song so much. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like tro- trodden terror or like it's retreading, you know, it's nothing fresh or new, but mm-hmm. it's I, like, I just love it when he's like, uh, she'll tell me all about season six finale of the Blacklist. <laughs> so, yeah. And I played this for my mom and she was like, this is Wonderful, <laughs> because I, 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 too, found some similarities between uh, this song and the way that I interact with my mom on video chats. <laughs> so I think more from just like an endear, like this, I feel like this song is just a nice little endearing moment and pause from all the
1: chaos. Yeah, like a palate cleanser of sorts. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And that moves us then into uh, more uh, more abrasive territory. That brings us then to how the world works. Uh, this sort of hymn singing, this very upbeat, almost like childlike summation of the harmony of nature and organic synergy and everything, how the world uh is is it's all just like a very pleasant give and take, but then is contradicted by uh Sako, that being a uh hand puppet, it's just sort of a sock puppet, a featureless sock puppet, uh, that he dons. That uh he asks if. It would like to teach us anything about the world, and it offers us a pretty involved condemnation of systemic greed and oppression. And um, then ultimately, uh, it seems though Bo Burnham has become uh, tired of Sacco's attitude, saying that like, hey, I I can just take you off. Remember who's on whose hand here. He goes to take off Sacco. Sacco freaks out because he doesn't want to be shut back into the, quote, liminal space between states of being that he exists in when he's not a sock puppet. So then, uh, forces Sako to apologize, uh, but even that's not enough. He has to make him even more subservient by insisting that he look at him and apologize and address him as sir. So we're sort of like hitting the metaphor on the head. Uh, it sort of revealed that Sako is, um, kind of a stand in for uh, those besieged and and beset upon by white supremacy and forced into subservience by uh Burnham as a stand in for that in this conversation, uh, which I thought was. was you know, pretty uh, initially unnuanced up until it gets to that last part. Uh, what did we think of that?
3: I have almost as many problems with this song as I do the next. And I think that for, for me, at the very least, this is one of the examples of Burnham not in his lane whatsoever. And I think that this song is... And I, you know what? I'm almost thinking that, like, I just have a really cynical view and I don't like Bo Burnham as a person or, like, in general.
0: It's kind of starting to sound that way a little. Yeah, <laughs> like, I,
3: so, you know, truly everyone take this with a grain of salt, but it just, this is the kind of white performalism or, like, performance that like performance activism that I think is really, really exhausting and helps no one because I'm thinking about the people who are watching this and I'm like, are you saying anything new? No. Um, is your audience thinking anything new from this? Not me, certainly not me. And I don't know. I just felt like this was a song, like I I have to include song because this is coming out after, you know, the... (laughs) All of the things that we experienced in 2020, but I, I'm I'm actually really hoping other folks feel differently.
0: I think I get where you're coming from. I mean, yeah, it does feel a little pat in terms of uh, this feeling of needing to include it. I think it's it's interesting that he puts himself in the villain role in that way as a representation of those systemic problems. But but yeah, beyond that, I suppose that, yeah, I, I'd agree. It doesn't really introduce a lot of new ideas to me. I think there are certainly people who are probably hearing this and it clicks on a light bulb for them, But yeah, I don't know. It depends, I guess, uh, on what the audience, what the expected audience is versus who receives it. I don't know.
2: I guess a question that comes to my mind when I think about his method of broaching these particular topics, it's like it's like watching him process what he's in real time or or he's creating a piece out of his processing or out of his thought process, I should say. And it, I guess it raises the question about whether we need to see every internal working of his mind, but then the point of this piece or the whole movie or the musical or whatever, the, the special, I should say, is that it, it's supposed to be tied to like, his current state of mind, essentially. And how much do you open yourself up to, to creating a piece that's like in real time, mental processing of, of, of what's going on. I I don't really know. I, it's, it's something I guess is interest, like, is an interesting thing to think about. It's like, at what point is it your lane to be able to state what you're thinking or ultimately is there a point at which it's like, well, you need to continue your own mental processing before you create an entire piece about it. And I don't, I don't really, I don't know.
3: (laughs) I mean, I, I just, I keep thinking about like, who does Burnham think his audience is? Is it like people that, that look like him? Um, because, okay. Okay. Then. All right. If this is like, if this is his inner monologue and it's for white people, it's made by a white man and it's for white people. Okay. Okay. But if it's not just meant for white people and you know, you're having like literally watching him process certain, some of these things out loud, I think that like for people of color and other people who experience some of the things that he's talking about watching it and having to sit and listen to it can be really difficult and like traumatizing in some ways. And I just like, I don't know if an artist has a responsibility to be like, I have to consider all of these things before I put something in my fucking show. So Christine, just like you said, I don't know.
0: I do see where you're, yeah, I do. I do agree. And that, uh that it's, it could be demanding among people who this is, that, that sort of spoken about and processed for, like almost freestyled, processed, uh, dealing with it in real time from that perspective. Uh, I could see that obviously being exhausting, which is kind of Sacco's one point. He, he argues that, you know, Ber- Burnham is kind of posturing in this very pompous way and saying like, well, what can I do to help? And Sacco's retort is like, read a fucking book. I don't know. Like this isn't about you. So either get with it or get out of the way, which of course is still coming from him, but I don't know. I think it introduces the the tenuous nature of that in the song a little bit, which I guess then brings us to uh, maybe what I think will be easily the most hotly debated uh, topic in here. So that brings us to White Women's Instagram. Uh, this is a song that, well, it initially goes along with a, a string of, let's say, sort of like what what is thought to be hollow and performative Instagram-like aesthetics. Uh, goes through all these different uh, visual vignettes of just like him posing in ways that are, uh, for, for, I guess, for lack of a better word, via the criticism lobbied against this typical of uh, of those kind of accounts um, before bringing us through a very specific shared memory via the medium through this uh, this user and then thrusting us back into uh, the sort of jokiness of it, which I think is uh, pretty layered. But before I get into what I think, what is wh- yeah, what are our thoughts on this one? Because I know that this is probably going to be a pretty complicated number in some ways or, or not to some people.
2: I mean, I thought this was, like, his, like, laziest number across the board. Like, the song isn't catchy, the points he's made, yeah. I I think it's the weakest across, like, across the board is my assessment of it
3: this was like single-handedly the song that kept me from watching this the whole time. And mm-hmm. I have to be honest, like every single song I have heard extensively on TikTok. So there was like not one thing that was new to me. <laughs> um, and it, it kept me away. And I, I, I probably would not have ever seen it, Dave, if you didn't pick it. Um, and it's mostly because of this.
0: So I do have some thoughts as far as what I think he might be going for. And, you know, obviously th- this is a uh, criticism of a cis white man coming from a cis white man about a song called White Woman's Instagram. So, you know, take this with a few pounds of salt, but this is this is my read on it because Burnham has said er- earlier on in the special establishes that he thinks punching down is not funny. Um, that and, and I think it's something that's maintained throughout the special, but could be initially critical you could initially be critical of here, but I think that's why this is maybe the most subversive song in the special, because it invites us to revel in the mockery of this like sort of hollow performative social media aesthetic and self-presentation, but then it kind of criticizes us for doing so. Like midway through the song, uh, after some like pretty hilariously accurate references to certain Instagram posts framed in an aspect ratio, like an Instagram post, suddenly the borders move out and they sort of expand as he details a caption of on this theoretical person's account, which is a perspective into them chronicling the grief of the death of a parent. And it kind of offers like a uniquely and deeply humanizing snapshot and perspective into the person behind the account, the account. So it kind of criticizes us for tearing each other down for this performative shallow lens that we see each other through, rather than criticizing and taking to task the sort of corporately incentivized and algorithmically curated medium that produces and encourages such performative content. And this sort of demands that we examine where, at least for me, where where the, the nugget of that criticism of those individual people comes from rather than criticizing a, a medium and a forum that flattens human expression to being inherently hollow and performative.
1: I think this is where the format Harms that point where I think it is trying to like it is like vote Burnham is known for these catchy tunes and he's taking these perform you know this um bringing this account to life so seriously and it really feels like making fun of all of this and I appreciate the moment where the aspect ratio changes Dave you know that moment you've brought up but I just feel like this is where the musical format and kind of our expectations coming up to it and knowing who Burnham is, really work against what he's trying to say here.
3: I just, you know, Dave, I, I really hear you and I respect your opinion a lot, but I also just want him to shut the fuck up. Um, I think that it still doesn't work. Um, he's not punching up. There is there is no up, right? I mean, I guess that for for a white cis man, the, the up is maybe when you're talking about class. That's, that's about it. So no matter what, like he's punching down, right. Unless he's talking about Jeff Bezos, which like, I actually really like that song. And I think that if he was trying to make commentary on how, uh, how much women, I'm going to say women, um, how much women are belittled and humiliated on the internet. Um, I think that it would have been great if he actually like talk to a woman, um, and had perspectives on that. And, and, you know, whether he did or he didn't, um, it was, it, it, to me, it felt like this was one man saying, I'm going to do something really cool and really funny. And this is how I'm going to get away with making fun of this group of people. And so whether that existed or not, I didn't pick up on that nuance because I was seeing red. I was so mad that this motherfucker thought he could do something like this and I it's just it's it's not good enough it's not it just isn't
0: yeah
1: that's fair I feel like similar and I I feel a lot the same way you do Sam and I feel like uh, this song of like why that group to like specifically profile in the song where I feel like a general idea of like social media posturing like it, it just seemed like such a I, I think I can understand like making a specific choice, specificity from like a creative, but this is just like I think just the wrong call. Like a decision was made and it just wasn't the right one and it obscures what he's trying to say. Cause it feels like the message could have been just general posturing on social media for all people, and instead of like hammering and the way the song's constructed, what it's called, like just hammering that point over and over and over and over and over again. Um which also leads to the song not being terribly interesting musically or structurally. Um, So it's sort of just like a, a baffling choices all around. But that's also, what's frustrating
3: is like I can almost see why he did it and why he thought that this would be like saying something while also being safe because you know, In the grand scheme of things, if you are going to take like a a large subgroup and and poke fun at them, I think that, you know, white women can be in a lot of ways, right? Like white women have so much fucking privilege. I think like that is a group that I would definitely be down for if it was another white woman or if it was other women, I I, I would 100% it would be different. And so like, I can, I can almost see it. I can almost see why he's like, this is safe and it's just it's still it's still not it's still not
0: yeah heard heard seen and respected i i i get all that and uh there's a lot of that i don't disagree with um that brings us then into unpaid intern which is kind of on its face a pretty terrible like very pat stupid like kind of like jazz riffy sort of song that's about um obviously unpaid interns and doesn't really have much more to offer than that uh, but then it cuts to this sort of reaction video. He's saying he's going to react to the song that he just performed. And he has his initial reaction to it, which is then compounded when that video ends. And he starts reacting to his own reaction. It then goes a level deeper where he's reacting to his own reaction to the reaction. If anybody out there experiences anxiety disorder, this is pretty on the nose as far as what that experience is like. But I, I, I found this to be really great, he, he kind of shifting with each Layer to like of self-awareness to either being like like self-exonerating or like self-recriminating. Uh, this is where we get the introduction of him him, ad- him addressing his own self-awareness, saying that um, if I'm if I'm self-aware about being a douchebag, then somehow it makes me less of a douchebag. But it doesn't. Self-awareness does not absolve anyone of anything. This reminds me a lot of like, do you know is like hyper-involved Mr. Show sketches from the 1990s structurally? Any thoughts on this a uh, little bit?
3: It made me so mad that this came after White Woman's Instagram because I was like if you just cut that song, I instead you just did this. <laughs> like this is actually very funny and I think that it does what White Woman's Instagram is supposed to do in a lot of ways and I would have just rather this. I thought it was like really really well done and actually funny. Maybe not laugh out loud funny, but like funny.
0: Yeah, sort of a nice little breather in terms of being like a sketch.
1: And it's for me, it's sort of this could so very easily, which I think a lot of inside walks this line of like, is it deep or is it cheesy and or pompous? And like, is he just and I think this song is a great example of like, oh, I get it. You're doing the self-react, But then it just kind of keeps going in the way. It's built and structured of this like, oh, all right, classy tune. And like, his just a generic like this is a, oh, a working class, a modern day working class thing about unpaid internship. But then it just sort of devolves from there. And I think this song is, is really clever. And visually, like the pink background, um, the way light is used. I mean, there's so much to talk about the craft of this special but the way light is used I really feel like this is one of the times where I really started to kind of keen in on it like the pink background the black and white video like the contrast um was pretty striking
2: yeah like Connery like using the word pompous made me think of something I I just had been thinking about as far as like Bo Burnham's material and like in this piece it always feels like or in stuff, I I hadn't really watched any of his stand-up until this had come out. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll, like, watch some of, his, some of his, like, stuff in the past, like, six years or whatever. He, sometimes he feel he presents this idea of, like, being the smartest person in the room at all times. And it feels like, at times, throughout this special, he continues to present this, it, this state of being like constantly aware. Yeah. It's this sort of like pervasive self-awareness that sometimes doesn't delve deep enough into like interestingly complex self-criticism and analysis. It just is like, I always have the upper hand ultimately. Uh, But I say that to say, I feel like this piece is really fun. Like adds some elements that feel like he doesn't necessarily always have the the upper hand uh, in in things that he crafts and also does a great job of commenting on what it means to produce content out on the internet and have a billion people constantly reacting <laughs> to what you produce and it, like his his whole career is this was essentially laid out on the internet, uh, from age 16, which is a terrifying prospect. Like, Oh God, (laughs) why would anyone put, I mean, I guess, you know, today the youth today are like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he definitely was on the like first wave of like YouTube content producers and that shit's out there. Stuff he did when he was younger, which is like, rough going. That shit's out there forever. Um, and so I think that all that is to say, I think this piece does a great job of, of sort of also presenting the scope of content or like the uh, the expanse of content in that it, it is sort of this self-replicating system that gets commented on and, and res- uh, has reactions and responses and this duplicating effect and then suddenly you're taking up all this web space, just talking about one single original piece of content, which was, yeah, like a, a, a dumb little jingle about an unpaid internship that wasn't even that great to begin with.
0: Well, speaking of songs that aren't that great, the next one is one of my least favorites. That's just uh, Bezos' One, which is just sort of like a brief uh, song, uh, kind of ironically cheering on a loathsome billionaire.
3: I like this only because of what it gave for TikTok tiktok uh you know just has a way of taking something that's like okay uh and doing some really wonderful things with it so i appreciate it for that fact and probably that fact alone
1: this song just swings like i love the um construction of it and it's just a great little like this is probably one of my favorite moments in the show because it's just a great like i think Use of the format of like, we just need a little, like in a stage musical back in the day, this would just be like what plays in front of the curtain as the sets get changed. That's what kind of like the vibe that it feels of like, yeah, just a little thing, keep you humming. It's about days. I I, I just love the song. <laughs> I think it's great. And it, it doesn't over, part of me wants it to be longer, but it, I think it really just cuts at the perfect moment.
2: That's it. It's like he knows when to just shut something down. Some of his songs are like barely a minute, and it, it some, feel wonderfully, refreshingly uh, succinct. And he's not really saying very much about... I mean, you know, it's like Jeffrey Bezos. It's it's a wonderfully flippant, uh, but not overly uh, complicated song. And it's, a as you said, it's a perfect little moment between what he wants to be, you know, heavy hitters, it's a little palate cleanser.
0: And then sort of a heavy hitter, uh, we get Sexting. Uh, this... <laughs> This is uh, obviously a song that's uh, written from the perspective who is in a relationship and is, uh, sex, uh, you know, sexting, uh, texting sexual messages over the phone. It goes through this uh, pretty humorous progression of initially being just an exchange of emojis, which is matched with the uh, projector providing the backdrop. So every time a message, an emoji in particular is sent, uh, it appears there behind him on the screen. We do also get uh, sort of like blown out like full coverage of the projector on his face with like, you know, suggestive eggplant and peach emojis. He's got this sort of like tiny little crucifix earring a la like 80s and 90s sensual pop videos. The air conditioner in the background is set to 69 degrees. Uh, He has this whole wall of text that appears over him at one point, which is really kind of a pretty nuanced uh, conversation about consent, even as it concerns sexting. Uh, So kind kind of a fun number.
1: Visually, this has to be one of my favorites of the overlay. I mean, I'm a sucker for like projector overlay. Um, It was in my uh, thesis project that I directed in college. Uh, So I'm just a a sucker for that format. So this is like visually and craft wise, like hook, line and sinker. Um, And I think the song's good. Like this is definitely um, a high point for me for the show for the special.
0: Nice. Yeah. Big fan of of all the work going on visually with the song. There's a couple other, a, a couple more of those coming up later. Uh, But it is sort of around here that the special begins to shift from like the, quote, comedy special, like topical and interpretive riffs on subjects into a sort of meta descent into Burnham's mindset as an artist creating this work, which sort of shifts the tone of the special from here on out. Uh, We get Look Who's Inside Again, which is kind of a less funny and more straightforward, more vulnerable look at because it doesn't really have any jokes. It's Burnham just sort of addressing his own inspiration as concerns Comedy and his songs, uh, sort of childhood feeling, feeling of being stuck in a room and doing quote any old shit to get out of it. Uh, having quit performing, he's found himself once again stuck in a room and is instinctively returning to the drawing board, doing quote any old shit to get out of it.
2: Yeah, I thought this this song is great, and again another example of uh, of a short, quick moment. And I think it's even more impactful how how short it is. Yeah, the tune is great, and yeah, it's ultimately pretty short and devastating track
3: i think that this is his lane like without a doubt and i think that this is probably some of the the more honest parts of the show and 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 that's the stuff i actually really enjoyed and appreciated like i think that this one um and and turning 30 that one i like
0: it's coming up yeah
3: i loved him i loved them
0: It's sort of a nice little tune, which um, then leads us into him watching a projection, uh, yet another of the uh, projector projections of one of his original YouTube videos when he was 16 with a sort of silently disapproving critical eye. And that leads us into Problematic, where... uh, Burnham sort of, I guess, sort of like performatively examines oppressive blind spots in his own work, initially cites his upbringing and background as an excuse, but then shifts gears mid-song addressing those lyrics themselves as being insufficient self-examination, all the while he's sort of like in a sexually taught workout mode, uh, riding a stationary bike, shadow boxing, lifting weights and sweating a lot, which I think is kind of a commentary on like performatively chic and self-congratulatory public apologies offered as PR stunts. Uh, especially Driven Home as a metaphor at the end when he uh, assumes the posture of a crucified Christ.
1: Musically, it's awesome. Um, I think lyrically, it's really strong too. It's this of is sort of sort banger, like, yeah. Oh, for sure. And the way that it's, I feel like this is also visually when we get into a lot of like more cinematic territory um, where a lot of the film is shot against the back wall, kind of flat or like different sort of like skit kind of environments when this one sort of feels like he's taking the reins more as a director. And I don't know if we mentioned, but he wrote, directed, and edited this. So this is all, what we see is all Bo Burnham himself doing and setting up and all of that. And so I thought this was definitely one of the most impressive parts of the special. And I was laughing through a whole lot of it. And I think we get into the character too of like, because he says, as I just said that, as I'm just singing this, I'm reevaluating what I just said. Which is a lyric that the real Bo Burnham wrote, but in this character mode, you know, this is processing mm-hmm. the character processing. When in reality, you know, this was probably written months before it was actually filmed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fun tune. And that'll bring us then, of course, into 30. Uh, we see Burnham seated alongside a digital clock that reads 1158. He explains within two minutes that he's about to turn 30 and sort of laments his lost 20s and the amount of time that the special has taken. We get a nice cool little flash, too, by contrast and juxtaposition to him earlier in the special where he's got shorter hair and is clean shaven. By now, he's looking pretty disheveled. At the stroke of midnight, he launches into this, this song uh, that's just sort of about realizing that you're, you're growing older as someone who considered themselves to be perpetually young throughout their 20s. As far as the visual elements of this also, this is where like Connor, yeah, as you just mentioned, he pretty much handled all of this on his own, filming, editing, producing it. And this is kind of a real showstopper. Like the use of, the simple use of like a cell phone as a moving spotlight, these three converging lights that at the finale offer three silhouettes of him as he performs. It's kind of a lot of visual stuff going on in the song. It's really, really impressive for
1: me. In the best way possible, this takes me back to 24 hour theater projects. Of like, what do we got? We got some lights. We got our cell phones. We have just the clothes that we came here with. He performs it in his underwear as he does several numbers later on, you know, in the back half of the show, the special. Um, And I just love I think parts where this shines, the special or when you see him and the mechanics of him putting this uh, special on. Like he's with his foot pressing the different lights to light up different parts of the room, going to the beat of the music. This is all done in a, a quote unquote one shot. I don't think it's him actually singing the verse; like they recorded this and dubbed it over. Um, but him singing along with it in like a one-shot kind of look, and so it's just very for one dude in a in a tiny shed type of environment uh, with strong lyrics to back it up.
2: And his voice is so good; like he, it, it, it's, it's for me, it's undeniable. Uh, I'm sure maybe more talented vocalists would. I don't know, have a different, whatever. I just, I think his voice is so, is so good. And and it also adds somewhat to the theatricality of it because some of the, the songs are recorded so well and so clean. You're like, oh, you're clearly like a theater train. Like, you know, it, it's, it, there's not too much like texture to like his voice or whatever, but it's just so clean and so smooth. I'm like, you could pretty much sing anything to me right now.
0: And yeah, it's it's like theater trained pronunciation and enunciation. It's um, you know, knowing when to hold a syllable versus like a trill at the end of a line. So there's yeah, there's a lot of theatrical nuance to it that heightens it.
2: And and emotive too. And I mean, I love musicals because you know, there's musical thingy, singing when you're just fucking belting it as loudly as you can, which doesn't fit everywhere. <laughs> but in the in the scope of uh, of this work that he's created it works it works
1: really well
3: yeah and like not to belabor this point but like this was definitely one of my favorite moments of the show um I also have turned 30 during the pandemic I lost the it seems like Bo Burnham and I are very close in age and so I think that we have all lost a lot in the pandemic I mean between any normalcy or whatever the the hell that was any any form of that is gone not to mention people that we've all lost but and this doesn't like really line up with all of that but like I spent the last year of my 20s in quarantine in my house and that's something I'm never gonna be able to get back like I'm 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 never gonna be 29 again I'm always gonna be there it goes I spent it all with the same four people in one room and it sucks, it sucks a lot. <laughs> and and so like, you know, coming to terms and reconciling what youth actually means, I I really, it really resonated with me in this song, particularly with how he ends it. And it ends like pretty abruptly. And it ends on like, in 10 years, I'll kill myself and it'll all be over. And I don't know, like (laughs) being a millennial in this time, you know, killing yourself and things like that have always kind of been jokes. Um, But when does it stop becoming a joke and it actually becomes a little bit serious in reality? Because it's almost like, I didn't, I don't want this anymore. And how he's like, no, I would never do that. But you're like, I can, I see it, I see it. I recognize the darkness here.
0: I'm so glad you bring up that point because that brings me to my favorite part of the special, which is, um, yeah, at the end of the song, at the end of the song about him turning 30 and kind of understandably uh, bemoaning it, especially because yeah, Sam, as you just covered, it was at a period when you couldn't really experience it socially as the occasion that it is. Delivers the lines, it's 2020 and I'm 30, I'll do another 10, 2030, I'll be 40 and kill myself then. And it immediately cuts then to, because the show does make multiple references to suicide throughout, just so you know that going in. Uh, We're offered a clip, which is obviously filmed earlier into the special due not only to the length of his hair, but because of his like comparatively cavalier attitude as concerns telling people not to kill themselves, he makes it very jokey and very humorous. But then it reveals uh, kind of like his current self, I guess let's say current Burnham, uh, who is a depressed and disheveled mess with, this former version of himself projected onto his chest as he sits in contemplative silence, again, while this, this more positive version of himself offers this reassuring message. Yeah, as someone who's uh, struggled with uh, depression for a long time, uh, it's, it's uh, funny the ways that like, you know, I don't know, for me personally, it really resonates as like, I was in, <laughs> I was in an emo band for a seven and a half years, offering people sort of these bombs. Uh, and especially at the end of the uh, at the end of the discography, sort of ending on a, a hopeful note, but being very keenly aware that in spite of offering that hopeful note, I personally have not reached those heights emotionally. So seeing that former version, that like optimistically cavalier and casual version of himself, flippantly referring to suicide but encouraging people not to do it, transposed against his obviously very depleted self, his current self, really made an impact for me. Me too.
1: I'm just gonna say definitely one of the most striking visuals in the whole program. And you yeah, know, this is when we're firing on all cylinders with inside. Which is interesting because that's right when it cuts to the intermission,
0: <laughs> which I'm glad is there. It's honestly really nice to have that palate cleanser at this point, because it it's starting to obviously take a, a turn toward that more like meditative and meta self-observation emotionally, rather than as far as topics. Um, Which, performative or not, uh, again, in moments like we've just discussed, hits pretty hard, as I I think we've all agreed. Uh, That leads us then into uh, Don't Want to Know, which is sort of an audience check-in moment as the artist. Uh, Burnham sort of seemingly seeing whether or not he has the audience attention or whether it's waned. uh, The lyrics, am I in the background? Are you on your phone? I'd ask what you're watching, but I don't want to know.
2: Which I think is a great compliment to the other piece, the Unpaid Intern piece, where it's like, this is an example where there is a constant layering of commenting and reacting. Mm-hmm. And then in the intermission, there's a very clear sense that in fact, maybe it's better not to know or read about reactions or comments to other people's reactions to your, to what you're doing or the stuff you're creating uh, where it's like, social media exists in a realm where like you can constantly be reading what other people are saying about you, or you can just be like, I don't fucking want to know by piece. And I think that's a, it's a fun, he's definitely sort of like being sarc like, and there's this element of sarcasm in it, but I think it's also an honest admission to just like being like, actually, I, yeah, don't want to know.
0: And that'll lead us into, well, there's, there, throughout this there are interstitials. There's a really funny little bit here where he's uh, he's playing as a Twitch streamer, where he's playing a, ver- a video game version of Inside the Special, where he as uh, Bo Burnham, the video game character, is only really able to play piano, find a flashlight and cry.
2: <laughs> that part is so good. That's really w- well conceived.
1: I think this is when I laughed um, the hardest. And it just, you know, as someone who plays a lot of video games, you Alyssa know, and I, when we were watching this, um, My wife, we were just, like, dying laughter. Uh, And it just looks like so many games that have come out over the past 10 years. Um, There's a game especially called 12 Minutes, which Bo Burnham probably didn't know, you know, it came out in 2021. And it just feels like... I don't know, it just reminds me of like you just walk around and you can only do, it's very restricted of what you can do, even though it's supposed to be this like all, you know, this sprawling kind of story that branches out. And so it just reminded me of like other media trying to do similar things, but just really sharply critiquing uh, Twitch culture and um, games of that nature that are really popular.
0: Yeah, it really nails kind of all the vina- Twitch vernacular of like, uh, I'm going to be gifting subs at the end of the month and things like that. Shout out to my boy, whoever. Pretty funny little interstitial bit uh we get two songs back to back that are pretty short and kind of expressed the same idea really uh one is called Chit, uh which we fade in on burnham again increasingly disheveled as this goes on singing a crowd pleaser call and response song about depression uh that leads us into all-time low where uh it's, it's sort of like a micro song where burnham initially is just speaking and earnestly describes his depressive symptoms before suddenly bursting into a brief, peppy number about what depression and anxiety look like from where he stands. And then just as quickly, the song is gone again, leaving Burnham again, once more, sullen and reflective.
2: I was singing Bag of Shit to myself, <laughs> taking a shower this morning.
0: <laughs> been like a saggy, massive bag yeah.
2: of shit. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just got trapped in my brain.
0: I will say, these songs have been like a running, a lot of them have been running in my head for the past few months. Uh, i love the phrase to, uh,
2: "a hu- it's something like a big duffel bag of shit and i was like that is a or like a duffel of shit and i was like that's <laughs> such a great construction
0: all day all shit <laughs> uh and that brings us to probably the most commented upon song in the special welcome to the internet this sort of just uh like a cabaret treatsy on i don't know just like the, the oversaturation of of media the inundation of media and overabundance of readily accessible information of uh sort of retreating it to social media via a perceived sense of connection which ultimately in not only my opinion in the dominant opinion i think uh academically seems to separate us even further but does some does it with some really interesting characterization that having been said i think this song is really out of place in the special because i think it is sort of like an emotional descent at this point so for us to have this sort of more topical review, I mean, obviously it comments I, on how, you know, that sort of thing poisons the mind even further, but I feel like it would have made more sense structurally for it to have occurred earlier in the special. What do you think of that?
2: I don't know. I thought having this really up-tempo, very sing-songy, like, welcome to the, yeah, like, can I interest you and in everything all the time, this this sort of like uh, circus-y, up-tempo, song suddenly pop up in a really emotionally weighty part of uh, of the special suggests like the internet and just searching for stuff and stuff being inundated with content is like an onslaught at any time any like in any part of your day no matter what your emotional or psychological state in it's like this ever present weird funhouse of like stuff and content and it is jar- tonally it's really jarring and i sort of think that can be into, like an intentional and abrupt choice
0: yeah i guess especially as it it serves to illustrate how toxic this carnival barker call of like anything and anything all the time don't worry about apathy or boredom there's always answers that you can find in the bottomless rabbit hole of regurgitated and recycled media online does does serve a pretty destructive backdrop to a depressive episode let's say
2: and I think it would have gotten lost in the shuffle if it had been pushed
0: up to the front that's sort of true
2: it it, it really speaks to mania
3: and I don't know in, in a lot of my depressive episodes, like I'm there's sadness, 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 just general malaise. And then all of a sudden it's like, I have this executive function again, and I'm able to do all of these (laughs) things at once. And so it is like everything all of the time. And then it goes back into the like lethargy, lethargic, whatever, whatever. So yes and no, but I think this was also the song that like TikTok has, not ruined for me, but like I heard so much. Mm -hmm. So I had been waiting for it the whole time. I was like, yeah, when is this going to show? And so I think like I was surprised that it was towards the end.
0: And I think does a great job too, as it lays out in this sentimental bridge, this sort of reassuring notion of like, hey, this has all been waiting for you. This is is the world at your fingertips. Right before cutting into the sinister laugh, before returning into the Carnival Barker character, sort of like clearly illustrating that, there is no such thing as a social media company that is interested in your betterment. And that sort of leads us into uh, another little interstitial where he's talking. Well, actually first there's another Bezos song where he's, hes uh, this one is just singing the name Jeffrey Bezos three times and then offering a different congratulation. <laughs> this one is pretty funny. He also appears in like a hunting ghillie and seems to be like sort of totally out of his mind at this point. And has also said before that, that like, in between these songs that like, at this point, you know what, I'm just gonna keep making the special and I'm never gonna release it and it's never gonna end. So I'm always gonna have something to work on. So he's obviously, yeah, Sam, uh, tying into that very, very, in a, in a very manic mode at this point as a character.
1: I don't think I have much to say about the second Bezos song, but Dave, <laughs> what you brought up about, I'm never going to release it, like the fear of finishing something. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of really interesting work in the special. Uh, that he does with like being a creator, which I think we've talked about a lot, but this idea of like, well, I can't finish it. This is what my life, like, this is what I'm doing. Like this Mm. character, like can't fathom being done with it because then what, what goes next? Like we've seen him really spiral throughout it. What's his life once he's done with this purpose.
0: Yeah, this is why I have like three or four unfinished solo albums sitting on the shelf right now. And this brings us then into uh, kind of the tearjerker moment uh, for most people, that being there it is again. He he starts with with again a very self aware performative irony. Burnham sits down with a guitar and warns us that he can't sing or play very well, both of which he obviously can, like every competent and uh, bullshitty self humbling guitarist has ever done in a public setting. Um, but then he he leads us through this this pretty tragic litany of uh, of different things lit by. A digital light that's meant to resemble a campfire complete with projected silhouettes of trees behind him. Uh, It feels very, like, intimate all of a sudden. And Burnham walks us through the lyrical hellscape of our modern lives, from the humorous to the downright horrendous. References to Disney mogul Robert Iger, Deadpool's quote-unquote comic sense of self-awareness, the warm summer air extending menacingly into the fall season and the sickening modern inversions that we've become so accustomed to, like, quote, a gift shop at the gun range, a mass shooting at the mall. Sort of an unfolding laundry list of observation and obstacles representative of, quote, the quiet comprehending of the ending of it all. Uh, and Then he concludes the melancholy tune with an almost sanguine refrain, hey, what can you say? We were overdue, but it'll be over soon. Just wait.
3: I think the one-two punch of this and the next one it's like (laughs) really like debilitating when you're sitting on your couch like oh god but but like on the other hand it's almost like in 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 one way comforting in the sense of like all of this existential dread and all of these like really terrible things that we're experiencing right now um there is some type of historical precedence for not being not -hmm. saying that that's a good thing um, because I don't know if there's historical precedents for it all happening all at once. Um, but you know, it's terrifying and comforting all at
0: once, I guess. Sort of makes you feel like a little bit seen in your constant state of anxiety.
2: For real. I yeah, I think that the the campfire setting is supposed to suggest intimacy and sort of a, a calming moment. It's it positions him outside, or but it's not outside though. He, it's mm-hmm. projections of a forest, and it sounds of a fire and crickets, and which I think still connects to the fact that ultimately this is a recreation of an, an outdoor space, which I think directly connects to the themes he hits in the song uh, about really ultimately the inability. <laughs> in a digital space to like summon, you know, then again, I, I'm not going to go down that.
0: Well, no, I think, no, I think that's what, that's in large part what the song is about is, you know, when, when you're witnessing in real time, the beginning of the end of the world, it starts to feel like unreality, which makes that unreal backdrop that substituted vision of intimacy and and connection to the outside within an interior space all that much more dramatic
2: Uh, yeah definitely yes that's the road i was going down and then i was like there's a further road down (laughs) that i am gonna woe back because my mind can't can't go there right now
0: Following this, Burnham tries to film himself, saying that it's been a year since he started working on the special, but he continues breaking down until storming off. He then explains that he simply is not well before breaking down into tears, and the camera zooms in on its own lens, uh, as it did at the beginning of the movie, sort of like introducing us to the concept, while on top of which we hear uh, Burnham speaking seemingly to a live audience about how much it means to be there with them. Uh, and that brings us then to uh, the penultimate track, All Eyes on Me. There's uh, this sort of hypnotic blend of overlapping and overlaid images as Burnham sings at varying distances, uh, crooning a demand to his audience, get your fucking hands up, get on and out of your seats, all eyes on me, all eyes on me. Uh, in, the, in The Bridge, he addresses that he left live comedy due to repeated panic attacks on stage. Uh, He says that he retreated from the limelight of performance to better himself and that he succeeded. And then when ready to reenter the world from which he's been hiding in January of 2020, he adds that, quote, the funniest thing happened. That obviously alluding to the, er, the onset of the pandemic. He continues through the chorus this time with some altered lyrics. You say the ocean's rising like a give a shit. You say the whole world's ending. Honey, it already did. And we see the camera's uh, unchanging time code projected along with the image, uh, the sort of like layered image of him, which is sort of illustrating that at this point in in terms of the character, he's not even recording this special anymore. This is just like something we're privy to as far as his experience, which is even further accentuated in another one of my favorite parts of the special, just before the final chorus, uh, Burnham charges at the camera, which up to now has been a stationary, un- unempathetic perspective that we've shared as the audience and hoists it into the air And suddenly this kinetic handheld energy of the shot allows the audience to experience the moment with him rather than watching it happen to him.
2: I didn't, that camera shift point you brought up was was great. I didn't even think about that shift in perspective uh, and and the function that the camera makes or like in the first part and then how that's completely changed once he picks it up or like catches it and then starts like dancing with it or like moving with it.
0: Yeah, because it's been so static that once suddenly that ca- that directorial choice of camera movement is accentuated, it it's clear that it is uh, getting at something and sort of breaking down the barrier of the static shot that we've been treated to for, at this point, like an hour and 20 minutes.
3: The lyric of Honey, It Already Did is like a, a punch to the solar plexus and... <laughs> Um, you know, I think like that's getting to the point of what I was saying before. It's like, it's completely debilitating, but at the same time, it's also like, well, then if nothing matters, then everything does. And I don't know. It, it left me weirdly hopeful in a way. and I can't explain it.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting piece. And then that brings us, of course, into Goodbye burnham reviews his footage which is confusing because like we just said like the time code isn't moving so it's suggesting he's not recording it but then he's watching it on his laptop before the next song which again i think is probably less a continuity error than it is like you know some sort of a commentary on what we're supposed to believe or or, or how much we're supposed to be emotionally invested in some of this
2: yeah i think to, to the point so it's like you made the really great point of like that switch in camera uh, sort of perspective being a choice to suggest that the camera and the, 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 view is with him instead of just on him. But at the same time, it completely subverts that by being like, well, that was staged and I did film the whole thing and I am reviewing these day like my own dailies or whatever. And again, it's, it's something that he clearly has like, so carefully planned out and that things that seeming or seem uh, spontaneous or reflections of real time are ultimately well-crafted moments to contribute to a larger narrative
0: yeah and even as far as the character narrative is concerned like you know that cathartic moment wasn't the absolution of it It's, it's he's still in this room doing this Although it's and interesting, he still though, has
2: the ability to edit everything, you know, it's there's hmm. still it's like I'm being vulnerable and I'm I'm letting people access this part of me. But I still am the director. I'm still the writer. And I still get to edit and fine tune and do whatever the fuck I want
0: to do. I think there's definitely something, too, though, about the catharsis of reviewing that footage for him as a character, because after that like we've seen him like he's basically just like moping around in this filthy room for the second half of the special up until like this is the first time like he wakes up in the morning after filming it and reviewing it and he starts brushing his teeth he starts preparing a meal for himself he starts putting away camera equipment it's like someone emerging from a depressive episode it's like this was the catharsis now i can move forward and that of course then yeah like i said brings us to goodbye Uh, We see Burnham as he was at the onset of the special, more clean cut, clean shaven, his hair is much shorter, as he begins demoing what he thinks will be the closing song for the special, uh, which then becomes overlaid with Burnham as he is now, with the sort of long matted hair and the scraggly beard as they sing together. Uh, He carries us through a medley of callbacks as we see him setting up and staging shots from earlier in the special. And then in the end, uh, after this song, The Door, which has been, you know, shut the whole time after he's come in from this blinding light, suddenly appears open and this familiar crisp white light is pouring in. Uh, He slowly musters the courage to cross the room and ventures outside where an unseen audience applauds him. Instinctively, he reaches for the handle to go back inside but finds that the door is locked. Uh, So after pounding on the door to the audience's laughter, he collapses into a ball and rocks back and forth. But then from back inside the room, Burnham watches this performance via the projector. Examining the scene, at first with a blank stare, but then slowly a smile, kind of cryptic and uh, interpretive smile, up to interpretation smile starts to cross his face before it just cuts to black and then ends.
1: Christine, I thought of you and your theme of ambiguous endings with the end of this.
2: Is there a quite like, I just, I mean, I, I saw it as a pretty clear kind of cap on the artistic process. You've mm. You've created something, you're like, oh fuck. I forgot to do this or like, uh, this is not what I thought would be, but there's no going back. Either you've decided it's done or you've submitted it. So, you know, whatever. And you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. And then there's that moment. And then you're like, okay, well let's move on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely, that's my read on that little smile. That smirk because we, again, we see him going out into the world again and presenting himself, to this audience, we don't see. They burst into laughter. He desperately wants to retreat inside, but can't. And then he watches that. And I think that's yeah, that's sort of a statement on the piece as a whole. Is like, look, I've said this, I've done this now. Now it's the world's, and all I can do is hope that the world handles it the way that I envisioned with via my attention. I I, th- I I think is is probably what that ending is going for. And especially after having spent so much time retreating from the world and not producing material because of his own anxiety, and that uh pretty much is inside that we also then get the final song over the credits, which is uh, just (laughs) a very comforting, but also sort of menacing. It'll stop any day now, any day now. Supposedly, I don't know, I I haven't verified this, but I've heard that he's going to be doing some writing. So at least some musical uh, structure writing for the Sesame Street series that's being revamped. So that could be pretty interesting, especially because he does have that sort of bouncy musical tone via his keyboard and everything. But that in essence is, uh, is inside sort of this bizarre one man show slash movie slash special slash musical again, musical in the loosest sense, just so I could have something to offer. But before we depart on that, any final thoughts on inside Uh, before, before any thoughts, I just want to thank uh, all of you for what has felt like a blisteringly honest discussion, which I really appreciated about this.
3: (laughs) I appreciate Dave, you bringing this and forcing me to watch it um I enjoyed the experience I didn't like it but I enjoyed the experience and I'm glad that I I have maybe a different perspective on Bo Burnham now how different I don't know but different
2: I would also recommend uh for those who haven't seen it uh C eighth grade it's really beautiful and it's a work of art that he created without centering it like himself in the middle, you know, and uh, I think it showcases his skills, at, like, yeah, as a director and as a writer. And yeah, if like, a special where it's just him all the time, only him <laughs> doesn't uh, <laughs> work for you. I think eighth grade is a nice counterbalance
1: to this. I'm really happy I got to watch it for the podcast and kind of go into the steep dive analysis, because I think that's probably what, he bowed one as well. And I think it was really interesting to kind of dive in and hear these different perspectives and other thoughts. So I'm very thankful for the butter crew for um, this episode and these discussions. Definitely a lot to think about It made me want to rewatch it and like reevaluate and rethink and like, Oh, see things from like new angles. Um, So I think this piece is very rewatchable. And I think that, you know, this conversation has given me some interesting perspectives to look through and to think about. And I also thought it was just interesting that I watched uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is about Jonathan Larson turning 30 in 1990. And this is about Bo Burnham turning 30 in 2020. Um, (laughs) It's not fully about it, but that's certainly an element. And so I don't think those pieces have a lot in common, but it was interesting that Netflix released both of those in the same year. Um, And so certainly something about a new decade triggering responses and and folks and creators. And I think Larson and Burnham are coming from similar places with these pieces. Um, even loosely. So I thought that was just that'd be an interesting double feature potentially.
3: I think it's like the death knell of youth, right? It's like yeah, <laughs> so often 30 has been seen as oh, you're adults, like you're big adults now, which no, that's not true at all. Um, it's a happy- lie. <laughs> no one ever knows what they're doing ever. It's still um,
0: terrifying. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So that's not true. Connor, when you hit 30, you'll you'll realize this
1: well i've been 28 for i've been 28 for one day as of this recording <laughs> so let's uh, let's revisit inside um you know we'll do that tick tick boom inside double feature for my 30th birthday and then in-
2: and we'll watch 13 going on 30 we'll just have a whole 30 theme
1: oh just for me just for you. <laughs> <laughs> episode 300 and something something what if it's episode 300 hell yeah
2: <laughs> hell yeah or no, we have to watch three hundred for episode three hundred, obviously.
1: Oh, I <laughs> almost wants- hope we don't make it. <laughs> <laughs> At two ninety nine, Dave just destroys his computer equipment.
0: <laughs> well, that, ladies and gentlemen, our episode of Butter with that for this week. We're going to be continuing to talk about musicals, and we have some really great ones coming down the line. And that's coming from someone who, uh, as we've pretty thoroughly established, it doesn't care for musicals. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, but until then, you can always feel free to reach out to us via our socials. That is uh, Butter with That One on Twitter. This is like a this is like a pop quiz. Uh, Butter with That on Facebook and Instagram, and Butter with That podcast at gmail.com. dot Send us an email, and we'll read it. Connor is clapping for me, and I deserve it. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Of course, feel free to, in the meantime, check out uh, all the great episodes and uh, and shows that you can find via Movie John. They've got a great suite of uh, different podcasts that are t- totally worth your time if you enjoy our show, or if you don't. Uh, and uh, as always, have a good whatever, and uh, we'll see you next week.